How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 118. Ooh. Is that the first time you said 118 as opposed to 118 or 118? I don't know. You'd have to check the first 17 episodes. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, <laughs> I could just be saying crap. Could one, be. Of, one of these days, maybe I should do it in like a different language. <laughs> just say it in Japanese. Hola, welcome to the Cinema Sideshow. That's, that's still English. That's, <laughs> just that's, with an accent. Hola. <laughs> Buenos dias. <laughs> uh, Depends on the cinema sideshow. Donde esta cinema sideshow? Where is the cinema sideshow? It depends what film we're watching, I reckon. <laughs> uh, speaking of films, Jake. Yes. Are you ready for your 2018 film quote? Sure. Why not? Okay. So you've not been doing too bad. What five and two, right? Uh, five and two. Five two two. Five four two. Five four two. Five all. Five, five nil. <laughs> This one's a pretty easy one. Okay. Well, it's funny because like, we're getting to that stage now, 2017, 2018, where we were at uni during these years. Yeah, I'm, so, and I'm pretty sure we saw this movie in a cinema together. Oh, wow. Okay, that really nails it down. Because uh, we didn't watch a lot together early. Yeah, because we kind of... When did we start becoming friends? Twenty More 2018. Yeah, yeah. yeah, was that, yeah it, was, oh. it was this year. It was this year we made faces. There you go. So wow. That was really, it, we're getting contemporary. Whoa, folks. that's like three years. Wow. That's it's happening. Three years ago. Wow. Um, Crazy okay. times. I just want to take another look at you. Ah, Star is Born. It is the 2018 Very film, nice. A Star is Born. Yeah, we saw that with, we saw that with Michael and Abby as well. And Jack. Us. I'm pretty sure. No, Jack wasn't there. With, it was us four. It's just us four. Okay. Because we did see a lot of films with Jack. The the um, amount of whispering with the fisheye shot at the very beginning. Like, that's a fisheye shot. That's a fisheye shot. You're eye. 100% <laughs> correct. I was like, I get it. It's a fisheye shot. Yeah, friend of the show, Jack Vett. We will probably <laughs> feature in a lot of these conversations of 2018, 2019 films. So. It's interesting. Yeah, because I can associate 2018 films. I wouldn't have got that so quickly if, if the memory of us going together wasn't so vivid. Mm. Yeah, and I'm gonna watch it again because I love, I love. A yeah, I, I'm. I was tossing up between that and Green Book for my quote. Um, uh, you know, I might have not got Green Book. That's fair because the quote I can't really quote that film so much. Yeah. Uh, um, I look. I like. I remember liking the first. I think it was one of my favorite first acts of uh, a film oh, that year. Yeah. Yeah. Up until the the shallow number, and then it kind of takes a bit of a nosedive in the second act and. Sort of, it actually has a very similar. I think Rocket Man holds fuel longer than okay, but they both peter out quite a bit. But at least Star is Born, the final. I mean, the numbers are like they're probably the best part. I mean, mm. Lady Gaga, like Lady Gaga's voice is just phenomenal. Like in that last number yeah. too. Um, but yeah, no, I remember it being kind of funny because it was his first time director, obviously Bradley Cooper, and I remember mm. him getting quite uh, disgruntled. When award season came around and you oh, get nominated, you get an Oscar nom, for you Oscar nom, and it's like you remade a film that's been made four times. <laughs> like, well, that that kind of that could actually work against you or for you because, yeah, you're right. It, it, you, a lot of people could be like, well, you know, you're just redoing a film, so you know, why should we give you the award? But then there might be the other side of it's almost easier to to really see what direction he added based on how different it is from the other films. So. I think you're probably right is that it could work either way but in this case it probably worked against him because yeah. that was the year you had like Yamphamos and stuff in for direction I mean I'm pretty sure Green Book won for direction did it? and Vice and was it? that was a weird year actually that was a weird year yeah it was a bit of a strange one 
Speaking of movies, though, mm-hmm. Jake, have you caught anything in the last week? Um, not much. <laughs> not a lot. I did do a little catch up this past week and I watched something, you know, to keep the start of the show, um, sort of topical or, you know, engaging in some way. I actually do want to quickly give a little shout out, an R.O.P. shout out to the Arclight Cinemas, which very uh, infamously announced that it's closing in the last week. It's probably one of the most famous cinemas of all time in Hollywood. And wow. A lot of uh, big prolific filmmakers tarantino ryan johnson they usually show up there for premieres of their films and whatnot actually it's in once upon a time in hollywood the shot of it lighting up at the start of the third act um so i'm kind of with everyone is it why does one of them just buy it it's not like quentin tarantino can't afford to buy this theater but yeah um, i mean it couldn't be that expensive too i mean even but also it also comes back to um even from a political standpoint, like surely a, a building like that gets pushed for like heritage listing yeah. or something like that, yeah, you know, sure. so it doesn't get demolished um, because of the amount of history in in a place mm. where it's that prominent. I mean, this is Hollywood we're talking about, like yeah. this sort of stuff, you know, that they should be looking to conserve this stuff or turn it into something else, turn it into a museum. Like, yeah, like Just if you if you can't make exactly it. if you can't make money. You know the con- the conventional theatre way. Find different avenues. I mean, th- I think that would be a great place to have like a film uh, museum. As yeah. someone who went and saw the one in in New York, hmm. um, which was fantastic. Like going there, and then they had like the the Muppets convention and the Space oh, Odyssey right, yeah. uh, right. exhibition, which you know that blows your mind when you like seeing like the the ape masks and the the. The 2001 helmets, and then literally Jelly. seeing how, like, yeah, oh, and seeing an Oscar because it had the, the had the best visual effects Oscar for oh. 2001. For 2001, yeah, wow, crazy. And then yeah, and then yeah, seeing all the Muppet stuff. So all the Jim Henson exhibition was always. Um, I'm trying to remember what episode. It might have been episode 56 when you might have talked about in the mid 50s. Well, we we so. did Space Odyssey. Oh yeah, you would have talked about that specifically. For 66, 67? Yeah. Because 65 would have been our Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. So then 66 was 80s. Maybe it was like 68 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, or 70s. I don't know. Math. Math. We're getting bad at the name. We've got too many episodes um, now. Like. But yeah, no, <laughs> I, it's like, that's a real shame. And if mm. someone someone should take the opportunity to either like you said preserve it buy it or or uh, turn it into something that it can start to make money yeah or even just like oh, i said the the um yeah, there it is. we got a photo of it yeah <laughs> that's the shot from once upon a time in hollywood when it lights up they should um yeah someone should that or the, the, just the city should just like whatever the county should just yeah. preserve it but yeah, that's uh that'll be a shame if they do end up demolishing it. So there's a shutter due uh shuttered? I guess that's correct. Shutter due to the pandemic, the historic art light uh Cinerama Dome is one of the hundreds of theaters owned by Duke du- what is it, Ducurin? Ducurin Corp. Mm. That may not be reopening the parent company announced this past week. Um this is a Los Angeles Times article written on April fourteenth, so it's pretty recent. Yeah. Very recent. Um another big uh, another big rip this week, uh Helen McElroy died in last yeah, week. Yeah, that's right. That's um, very sad. Which, uh, you know, it's a, kind of a bit of a shock, you know. She was only 52 and mm. 
Um, obviously, she's most prominently known as kind of a BBC TV actor, but um, Harry yeah, Potter's one for me. Harry Potter and um, Peaky Blinders. She's got a very prominent role right. in Peaky Blinders. Um, like a very major role, um, and I, I mean, she was phenomenal in that show. Mm. Um, in later seasons, I thought her character got a little murky, but that had nothing to do with her performance. It was right. more, I think, the writing was a bit cyclical, but. Um, yeah, no, that was a bit of a shock that mm. that happened, and um, yeah, that's real, real shame. shame. It's going to be interesting to see how. I think they've only got one season left of Peaky Winders, oh, okay. make, so I might just have to write her out in some way. Mm. That sucks. Well, you know, but we're out of our memoriam section. Mm. Actually, when the Oscars are pretty soon, they're going to have their own. I wonder if it's too soon to add her in. Nah, they'll. Nah, nah, I'll go check her in. They'll throw her in easily. That was a situation a couple of years ago where um, who um passed or someone passed away. What was like, oh Kirk Douglas or something like really close to the date and like we weren't sure. Ah, someone I have no idea. Z. Mm. No idea. Don't ask me. Um, but to answer your previous question, twenty years ago when you asked it, they interrupted. Uh, the uh, the so I watched the year Earth changed, which was I mentioned it last week coming to Apple TV Plus. And it's about a 48-minute documentary. It's very bite-sized. Your typical Planet Earth-sized episode, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and it, yeah, it uses photography of this stunning like wildlife visuals and everything to show how wildlife sort of reclaimed its place on the planet after COVID-19 sort of struck over. Mm-hmm. So it takes place from March last year to March of this year. So it's it, it feels like they very quickly put this together. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some pacing issues. I kind of wish they just sort of committed to a full feature... 80 90 minute thing um it feels like it's a little jumping over the place at times but you know i mean like your planet earth it, it's just incredible like the visuals and looking at it and, and yeah. just the reminder that how big human like the human footprint is and how much of a positive impact you can have just hitting the pause button for like one week or one month or one year mm-hmm. how drastically positive the effect becomes on both underwater life and above ground animals. And Absolutely. It's very good. It's a very good documentary. I recommend it if you have Apple TV+. Plus. Um, but yeah, the other one. So you saw this on my desktop when you walked in. You're like, Jake, what is this? So this is something I've noticed Taika watiti has been putting on his Instagram, something called Save Ralph. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure what it was. I only literally like an hour ago saw that it's like a four-minute little short film. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll chuck this watch on. And I don't really want to spoil it, but I kind of have to, what it's actually... So, it's it's essentially this PSA thing on um, animal testing for, like, beauty pro- products and cosmetics. But what it is, is you have Taika Waititi playing this bunny character, and it's like a stop-motion animated mockumentary where he's talking to the camera. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is my you know, my day-to-day life. And then it becomes this, like, horrible thing where, you, where you, he ends up in the lab, and it's meant to be, like, this sort of funny, cute thing that turns really horrific. And um, it's good. It's on YouTube. It's free, so it hits home. Uh yeah, yeah. It's well, it's well, well made. I I do appreciate that it's sort of this wild, wacky way of delivering this message. Mm. So oh, I appreciate really, that. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Shout I've, out. <laughs> I've had a insanely quiet week. Mm. Um, been a lot going on, and I start my prac tomorrow. So. Yep, as of yeah, this yeah, recording tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. So next couple of months are going to be yeah, going to be a tough time to try and get films in. Um, but I'll try I will and do the uh, viewing for both of us. 
Yes. yes. <laughs> well, um, well, you said it last week. You're like, oh, depending on, you know, how free you are, you're going to know whether you watch 10 films or zero films in the last week. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I ended, ended up, up being on the zero side. And on the zero side. Um, it just, yeah, it was a lot of, lot of moving pieces in the last mm-hmm. week. So we got to, yeah. But I'll, I'll obviously try my best because I do love watching my uh, movies. I'm going to have to do an hour and a half commute every day. Maybe I should just watch one on the train. That's not bad. Just save it onto your phone or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's honestly do... not the worst idea. No, I, I think I might actually do that. I got a I got a job on Saturday. I I just got a text um asking if I could do a shoot on Saturday, and it's like a three hour drive. I'm like, Phew. and then get the Bill Burr podcast ready to go. Well, that, well, that's the thing because I got all these podcasts I'm just behind on, and um they messaged me and they're like, oh, we might be able to get um my friend Keish might be able to get her to come down too, so we can just drive together. I was like, that'd be awesome for the job to have both of us working this one job. Like mm. that'll make give a lot, lot less headache for me. But then it's like, but then can I listen to my podcast on the way down? <laughs> that's that's the trick. Um, can't really watch a movie while you're driving though. So. No, no. I'm sure people have tried. <laughs> well, I guess they tried uh, and they failed. Did you want to move into career slash award talk or anything? Um, I reckon. I think because yeah, based on our schedule. Next week's episode will be just before the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So I reckon we can go another week and then maybe do a final prediction. Cool. Blase. Actually, I don't know if I showed you this. Like I printed my um my little checklist here under the chicken. That's uh, Jake the... is passing there the uh, checklist. The Oscar ballot. It's the exact same one they had last year on Rotten Tomatoes. So at the moment, I'm using it as a checklist for films I've seen. Seen, yeah. Um, which you may notice from last year is actually a lot less. <laughs> I've been not as good this year. But last year I like kind of crushed it, but mm. I'm still missing uh, Billy Holiday. That's one of the main ones there. News of the World has got I think four nominations or five. That so haven't seen that movie. Yeah, no. Um, it's a big one, and we've covered all eight best pictures. I mean, we've covered the major. Like I'm looking at like the major categories here. Um, because we've we've like, done because probably the the there's three columns and I would say the most prominent columns obviously the first one and then a little bit of the second one but um, the down the column like going down yeah so like we've, right because the third every- one is a lot of the shorts and the documentary yeah, shorts we've, and stuff like we've that. watched we've watched Makeup. I'm just gonna quickly cite this uh, okay. we've watched um, we've covered every best picture nomination yes, we every have. directing nomination all but one for the actress leading role which like you said Andrew Day oh you're right we, we have done every director because we did another round mm-hmm. hell yeah um, we've got every actor in leading role, actress in supporting role, actors in, uh, actor in supporting role, and original screenplay all covered. Uh, adaptive screenplay, we have all but The White Tiger. We're not um, watching The White Tiger. <laughs> I'm just saying that right now. That's that one about the cab driver, right? I think so, yeah. It's I'm not, I'm not 92% saying on... Okay, maybe, may, I don't know, it just looked weird. It looked it weird. Look weird. When, when it looked kind of like a funny kind of Bollywood making fun of movie. But it... It's got a really good rating. It's got a good audience score. Maybe it's too. great. Maybe it's really great. Uh, you've covered uh, half the animated features. I've done none of those. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we did Soul. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Excuse you. We've done Soul. Like we did Onward. Off. I've talked about Wolf Walkers, but that's about it, really. So Yeah. Um, we've covered one of the documentary features, My Octopus Teacher, which we've talked about on the show. Yeah. Um, that could win. I think it will. That could um, win now. with time. Well, time's on Prime, I think. And mm. I want to check that out. Uh, between the two of us, we've covered all of the sound category. You've seen Greyhound, oh, nice. but I've seen News of the World. Nice, nice. Um, 
yeah, we're, I'm looking at this. Uh, either we've both covered it together or we've covered it between the two of us for right, most of yeah. it. Um, the one I'm happy with is Best Picture plus Ma Rainey's Black Bottom plus One Night in Miami. Those are like the 10. Mm-hmm. But I'm really glad we've not only seen but covered on the show extensively. So I'm very happy about that. Tight year. Cool. Have we really seen all the best act- supporting actress? Yeah, check it. Supporting actress. Oh, wow, you're right. Yeah. Look at you. Look at that. Yeah, and the, the only one which we have talked about is Hillbilly Elegy. We just never did an episode. Oh, no, yeah. No, you're right. Look at that. I'm, a, I'm still getting mixed up with, like, um, not Rosamund Pike, but, like, Jodie Foster and stuff, but they didn't get Oscar noms, so... That's, that's, just, that's a shame, cross. all things considered. I think... Uh, Rosamund Pike, Pike could have, could have, for I care a lot. Yeah, I'd give in in best actress. I well, especially because that Andrea, that Andrea Day. Uh, we haven't seen film. her performance. Yeah, I look. I saw the trailer. Oh, okay. Um, when I went and saw. Get rid of these JB vouchers. What did I go see? What's the, what's the thing before? Uh, I, I went and saw a, a film and a film. Yes, and it was the. It was the trailer beforehand. Um, oh, okay. And it just kind of looked like a by the numbers sort of Oscar, Oscar-esque film. Um, yeah, it's not nominated for anything else other than her performance. So that's kind of the gist. It's almost like a Harriet last year. Yeah. Harriet, very blasé by the numbers. Could be more exciting film, but but she was good in it and her song. So there you go. Um, um, well, yeah. I guess we can. You got anything else you'd like to add before um, we move into? Yeah, but we got. We almost got distracted a little bit because oh. I, I was gonna have some career stuff. <laughs> Boy, boy. So I did talk about last week. Um, doing the stuff with getting uh, the Raven, the short film that Stephen Clark directed. Yep. Um, over the line in terms of DCP, we actually. This just speaks to how ridiculous this past week has been. It feels longer, but like we had the uh, the proper cast and crew screening last Thursday and um, very very good uh, reactions and everyone was super super happy and proud of how it came out and I know it's funny because you've worked with more than half that cast you worked with Mason, Lawton and Holly three yeah. of the five actors in the whole bloody film yeah I did so, a um, you know. yeah mix of films between over the last couple of years with one with Mason and one with uh, Lawton and Holly and yeah yeah, so it's pretty Ooh, funny. Duo it team goes, there. <laughs> goes to goes to show uh, kind of how localized and community based mm. like uh, like our industry is that there can be that much crossover. So yeah, um, but they're all fantastic performers. Like yeah, they're um, awesome. Great people, great performers. Yeah, and they they their performances in it, in uh, the Raven. I'm sure were mm. very strong. Yeah, I'm I'm just very I'm happy for them. And that, well, that, that's actually, actually something that Mason said. Is he, he walked out and he's like, wow, it was like really great to to see it all come together like that. Because I imagine, this is the thing with Mason particularly, I see him everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a running joke between us now where every time I go and like I watch The Crossing, it's like, oh, he's a, he's an extra and like back there. I go to this, um, uh, what's it called? The uh, the Screen Academy, like the gullus screenings the other Thursday and he's in the background of one of those films and he's in a music video that I helped do some drone footage for like he just keeps popping up and everything yeah so it's like he's definitely I, working his craft he like. is he is working and and what we were talking about the other day is he said he was like he was so proud to walk out of that because i see him in so much and he has to iterate like yeah you see me a lot but there's a lot of stuff i do that no one sees mm. it doesn't go anywhere 
And it's like, this is a working actor right here. Absolutely. And, um, he's a great guy. Yeah, I met him on, on your set, so it's really cool. And then we bumped into each other at the Knives Out screening. We are both getting... I was getting more teasers. I don't know what he was getting, but... Didn't Netflix buy us or something happened with Knives Out? Yeah, so Netflix bought the rights to Knives Out 2 and 3 to distribute. And it was like insane, the amount of money. $500 million thing. And I think 200 of those million respectively go to Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson. So your boy Ryan Johnson's a bloody multi-millionaire right now. Wow. I, I, that's I love a it because he's just like a nerd. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot guy. of that's a lot of investment for um mm. two follow-up films. So I wonder how that's going to work if it's going to follow Daniel Craig and um Daniel Craig's character with um Lakeith Stanfield. Like I wonder if that um all that's confirmed is it will be like an anthology type collection of films with him being the one tying factor. It's yeah, his detective he definitely character. struck me as kind of like the murder on the Orient Express. Like that's what right. they were trying to do with that franchise. I think they were really trying to push a couple movies of that. And I don't think they'll get a second movie. Right. Um, I know that's based off like a 1950s film. but Yeah, and that, is that based that, on a book maybe? I'm pretty sure it's know. an anthology okay. collection um, of following that detective, but... That's gonna be interesting. Like with the car, like that car, like that was such a strong first cast. So, well, just um, imagine now, like who doesn't love Knives Out? Yeah. Like, so I, I can't imagine them not getting another cast that's like equally as brilliant. Like it's such a perfect option. If you're an actor in Hollywood mm. and you're like, hey, you want to be in Knives Out too? Who would say no to that? It's true. Like honestly, it and is. It's, like it's... people hate his Star Wars movie or whatever, but. Nobody hates, like, nobody in the industry really hates him because he's just such a nice dude. No, I, I think the problem with, and, and especially in hindsight, obviously, you know, we talked about Rise of Skywalker, episode 49, uh, if you want to listen to that rant. Um, <laughs> so, yes. and I think when that film came out, it was met with even more negative feeling from okay. not just uh, people that like Ryan Johnson's film, but people mm. that like the first one. So, and I think people were so frustrated with that third movie that I think that definitely has eased off a little bit. The, the last Jedi kind of hate. Cause I think right. that just collectively those three movies, people, some people are like, no, literally pretend they don't exist. They, they yeah. just go, Oh, it's the saga is the first six films. That's it. Yeah. It's uh, I I think you're right to an extent. I still see a lot of people like, Oh, well, you know, it started with Ryan Johnson. He ruined it. And it's like, I'm sorry. It's like, first off, I, I do love last Jedi. So there is that to consider, but I think you're right. A lot of people realize with that third film, like, J.J. is just to blame. Mm. If you don't like this trilogy as a collection of films, like, you need to figure out who to blame because, like, J.J. made a lot of the decisions that were actually shown in uh, in Last Jedi in terms yeah. of Ray's heritage that was even then retconned even after that. Yeah, it, it's just a mess. I don't... I actually don't even count them. Like, I don't even... <laughs> I really just don't think about them at all. Right. Um because it's just anything that uh, has Dave Filoni's name or John Favreau's name on it, I'll, I'll buy into it no, because I think they are they're real, they're real fans of the product and telling the story. But um, yeah, I'm a I'm a Dave Filoni enthusiast. Yeah. Anything with his work, his work on Mandalorian's been incredible. So it almost feels like we did it on purpose. Like, is it possible, Zeke? To talk about the Raven and within five minutes naturally get to Star Wars. 
<laughs> feels like that was a goal that we just achieved. It's been a very tangential podcast. No, I like it. Because um, the last few is just like 10 minutes in, like, oh, let's start talking about film of the week. So I like I like we're getting a little more conversation here. I like it. Yeah. But yeah, the so that... Ode back to the Blue Velvet days. Where it was, yeah. It's turned more into a conversation. Oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, just, I just... Yeah, but you are right. We always find our way back to Star Wars. <laughs> it's the way to do it. It's a way to do it. Uh, so, yeah, Raven, but, um, that's going to have its uh, festival run soon. I'll let you know how that all goes as it arrives. And I, my... Oh, I would like to pose a quick question for oh, you. Okay. Just to wrap up the Knives Out conversation, oh, too. Oh, of course. Um, yes. Who is one actor you'd like to see in the Knives oh, Out that's sequel? that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, the first, like, three answers in my head are like, no, they're already in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The when first, you think the of that, like, you incredible. look at that cast in the first one. It's just mind-blowing. I'm not even joking. The first two in my head was Tony Collette and Lucky Stanford. Like, they're both already in Knives Out, Jake. Well, mine would have been um, someone like Michael Shannon, but he's, like, already in. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, Taco Watiti. We mentioned him a minute ago. That's not a absolutely one. That would love really that. Well. Yeah, would love that. Oh, and um, Adam Driver easily, easily, and they've already worked together. Yeah, that one I I can see that. Yeah. I could see an Oscar Isaac. I'd get, oh, yeah. I'd get behind Oscar. Just, just a Star Wars version. Just like yeah, just <laughs> literally take just that cast, cast and just put them in the knives. <laughs> that actually wouldn't be a bad idea when you really think about who's no, it's a good cast. who's in like that that collection yeah. of, of people. Um, Hopefully, you get more to more to play with. In terms yeah, of, uh, in terms of character, depth. Get Harrison Ford in there. <laughs> he would actually be pretty funny in one of those movies. He would be. He would be the Christopher Plummer of, of the second one. Yeah, he just dies ten minutes ten in. Minutes in yeah. And then the whole the whole uh, twist is that he just did it himself because he hates himself. So my, he doesn't hate himself. The one thing I'm work. intrigued with this was the only is um and I'm going to I always get her name wrong. Um, the female lead. In oh Anna Diamas, yeah Diamas. Um, she, I don't think she's gonna be in this one. Nah, that's a shame. I she's quite great. liked her character. She's great, um, but it makes sense why she wouldn't be in it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, she's like kind of like the the front poster head of it. Not not literally, but like when you watch it, it was like, oh, she's clearly like the protagonist in a way. But that being said, it's she's still part of that ensemble, that the one and done ensemble. Mm. So yeah, and her conclusion is pretty decisive. So yeah. Um, Really, really interesting stuff. Looking forward to a sequel. But yeah, uh, yeah. if you wanted great. to wrap up your Raven. Yeah, so like I said, festival run. I'll let you know how that all goes. It's probably going to be another year before they drop it online, but um, that's going to happen. And my 10-minute BTS video, we had that semi-ready. I mean, it was it was presentable. You know, It was actually funny because I started rendering the DCP for that and then cast our producer because I just took the confidence of, ah, oh, she's going to like it, and I put, like, at the start, work in progress... So I was like, okay, you know, it's close. Maybe I'll touch the grade up for the online release or whatever. And halfway through the DCP, she messaged me and be like, Jake, this is perfect. Just get rid of that notice at, at the beginning. I was like, crap. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have to restart this DCP that took all night to do. But that's kind of the best compliment you can get is that thing where you say this isn't your final work. Just get rid of that. It's good enough. So it's probably a good enough compliment. Um, but that will drop, I imagine, much sooner. Because I purposely didn't spoil anything in the BTS video. So, uh, that should be around the corner. No worries. Well, it is time for us to move into our film of the week. But, Jake, what are we watching? This week in the show, Zeke, we're watching Supernova. So, can you tell that it's gotten worse? I'd like to make a speech. I, uh, 
Well, maybe, maybe Sam will do it for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. you do it for me. Now, as most of you will know, I'm slowly losing my ability to remember. And I definitely wouldn't be here if it weren't for this man next to me. I want to be remembered for who I was, but not for who I'm about to become. It's not fair to you. It's not about fair, it's about love. No, Sam. I want to see this through with you to the end. Custer! A very wise man once said, We will not starve for lack of wonders, but from lack of wonder. A gay couple, one a musician, the other a novelist, embark on a road trip as dementia starts to take hold of one of them. That sounds sad, Zeke. Yeah, uh, we did make this joke last week on the show, but uh, two weeks in a row talking about uh, the mental illness, dementia, um, mm. both films focusing on it. And uh, obviously we're probably not going to bring too much up on the father in this in this discussion. No, I, I don't think we really need to, to be honest. Um, we want to yeah. obviously judge this film solely based on its own mm. selfless merits and ignore the fact that we saw a film that was talking about it literally... Uh, Last week, week also. So, yeah, we went and saw this on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, we saw it Saturday morning. It's a minimal crowd for a, it was a, you know, a couple of couples there, I guess, and then us. We yeah, were not... we were a couple. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was interesting because we, we've known about this film for a long time. When we watched Ammonite, so this is like episode 97, I think it was 97, uh, they had the, was it the Paris Film Festival? Or what was it? Yeah, it was the French one. Yeah, French, French Film, Film Festival, Festival, that's right. And um, we saw Ammonite, and then they had this, then the Supernova trailer there, which I'm guessing had like one or two screenings mm-hmm. back then. And we, we were sort of curious. We're like, oh, this looks interesting. This looks sad. Um, so it's funny that it's taken us this long to get to it. And um, now that it's like a full, proper release, it's playing every day at Lunar and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, what, what, what did you think, Zeke? What was your takeaway? Um, yeah, look, it, this obviously is an interesting film in terms of its subject matter. It's obviously, you know, we were talking about methodology in conveying and translating mental illness to the screen is actually a lot more difficult than, you know, you first consider. Mm. And unfortunately for for this film, I, I nothing inherently wrong with it, um, but nothing kind of resonated with me as much as it, you know last week on the show's film mm. um this film definitely feels like a kind of you know it's funny you bring up ammonite because i actually think that's a decent comparison in terms of you know we're focusing on pretty much two characters and this film's pretty much billed as these are two really talented actors acting, like, mm. um, which is the same thing that Ammonite was built at. You know, you got this up and comer, Saoirse Ronan, this, you know, iconic... Like, I think she's well past up and comer stage at this point, surely. Yeah, okay, fine, yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously being paired with Kate Winslet, which, you know, she right. doesn't... She, mean, she's like a legend. Legend, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I see what you mean. I see um, what you mean. Whereas these two have always been considered, at least for the last, you know, 15, 20 years, pretty prominent 
uh, strong actors, um, particular, especially. I mean, one of, like they bill it Oscar-winning actors, Colin Firth, mm. Oscar-nominated actor, you know, Stanley Tucci, and it's like okay, so you clearly see um, one of this thing's film. Uh, one of the biggest strengths this film has going for it is you're going to get great performances out yep. of these two people. Um, which then leads to to the, the the train of thought. Okay, well, I know I'm going to get really great performances out of these two. Was the story compelling and interesting for uh, ninety minutes? And mm. I don't think it was, to be honest. Right. Um, yeah, because that was my thing as well. Is it, it is ninety minutes? I think it's ninety three minutes to be exact. And, it, and, felt, it, and it, it felt much longer than that. I think Ammonite had the same problem. Um, I don't think Ammonite was as... Sh- it definitely feels longer than it is. I don't think it's a 90-minute film. I think though. it's just under two. I think it's now 50. Okay. Um, if I recall. Uh, but, yeah, you're 100% right. Um, I'm actually curious about that now. But, but yeah, it, look, I was kind of with you. I, I kind of had no idea what you were thinking throughout because we weren't really, like, talking during. We were just sort of watching... Quietly observing, which, you know, and you're in a theatre. That's probably <laughs> what we should be doing anyway, yeah, to be course. fair. But um, I really had no... Because I was thinking, I was like, I'm kind of just not... There's a lot here the film is not doing. Now, when I when I first... The very first scene is it's them, you know, driving in the RV. And it's sort of this very basic coverage back and forth over the shoulder of them talking. And yeah. sort of cracking jerks. And it's sort of establishing their relationship. Like, we know they're a gay couple, but like specifically what their relationship is. Yeah. And it's bang on two hours, am I not? Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, it's, that's fair enough then. Yeah. I don't remember being like drastically, it feels like five hours. Like I didn't feel that about Ammonite, but um, yeah, when I, when, it, when that first thing started playing, I, I, it just felt kind of orchestrated and I hate saying this, but it's like, it's the same feeling when I watched um that uh, Chris Hemsworth film on Netflix extraction. Okay. Where I was kind of like laughing to myself in the first 15 minutes because every shot, I could almost see the beat written in a script. Mm-hmm. Like, grabs this thing, swigs a drink of this thing, walks out and does this. Like, I kind of... Which, you want to be immersed. You don't want to be thinking like, oh, th- this is how this would have been written, this beat and this action. And the editing's a little like, oh, we, we edit in just enough to see this character make a smirk and then turn around. It just felt really... I could kind of... I feel like I could see The Matrix almost watching it, which is not common. Like, I don't... I'm pretty easily... Okay, Mr. Anderson. No, but here's the thing. I thought (laughs) this was a me problem because it was like, well, you know what? I've been sort of heads deep on this BTS video and doing something. Maybe I am just seeing The Matrix briefly because I've been so into this thing that I'm seeing all the edits and the cuts and the the, the beats and the writing and everything. Um... But after a while, I was like, no, I don't think... I just think there's something about this film that doesn't feel... Like it flows all that well. Mm. There's something can't I, quite I, put my finger I, on it. I think yeah. it just feels artificially constructed. Like this mm. is the time. Like you're. I think what you're identifying there, when you can see the beats, the film doesn't become engaging on that level of curiosity because you're mm. kind of you kind of see where it's going. Um, it kind of feels like you've seen it before in a way. And a lot of the mystery and and throughout the film. Because um, obviously the first act is sort of the posing question is, um, well, what's wrong with Stanley Tucci's character? Mm. Um, and why is, why is, you know, Colin Firth's character of Sam, 
why is he constantly like checking over his shoulder and 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 sort of but then that gets answered pretty quickly and then after that yeah that's never really a mystery i don't think no no so that driving question you're right is sort of answered very quickly and so really, it has to become something else. And, yeah, and, and and it comes back to okay, well, what does it transform into? And I'm about to go into spoilers here, so yep, FYI, <laughs> uh, this yeah, this this film is uh, you know it's decent. You should you should check it out if you know you're into this this type of if film. you like if you like these two actors, yeah, for sure, absolutely. For sure, um, but uh, after like that posing question is answered then we're sort of left to tread water for about 25, 30 minutes. Mm. And then we get posed a new challenge when Colin Firth discovers uh, a suicide tape and some medication. So we, you know, we identify at that point um, that he's listened, obviously he's listened to the tape and then there's a period of time where he's sort of festering with that knowledge. Mm. But there's no mystery really there. It's pretty, the scene in which he finds the medication and the tape you can put two and two together. So, after, and after that, it then proceeds to, once again, it's like, okay, well, now it's trading, we're back to trading water because these two characters are just having a kind of a back and forth debate about this, this ethical decision. But it doesn't really go anywhere for a period of time and then finally comes to a, a, a final resolution. I, I just found this film, I think the reason it's like, you know, when we've seen films together, sometimes when I'm really enjoying something, I will emote, you know, outwardly. Right, okay. Um, and I was pretty dead silent for a lot of this <laughs> film. So I, I find it interesting you've picked up on, like, how... That's true, uh, because when I said, like, I cannot for the life of me tell what you thought of it, because you weren't emoting, you weren't really saying anything. And that was the thing. I just I kind of sat there, and I was like, I really don't get... Um, anything out of this film it's not provoking any sort of response out of me and i find that even like i know these two people are really good actors and i think the subject matter and the story is there but i think the film never goes into that next year mm. um so i was often left quite muted at um uh, at what it was trying to say and it just was everything it was like so there were so many elements that were just perfectly adequate um mm. But uninspiring. And it's so much like an Ammonite review. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's true, though. And I think Ammonite, I did the same thing. I think I sat in the cinema predominantly and didn't say that much because what you're doing is you're taking two really prominent, talented actors and you're giving them a basically a, a two-hour or, in this case, a 90-minute uh opportunity to just showcase how good actors they are. Like the, It's like a reaffirmation. It's a reaffirmation, and I really think sometimes it, it overpowers scenes where the content should be more important than the performance um, between the two. Um, okay. Like, the story sometimes takes a back seat because it allows, you know, these actors have got to they've got to act. And I actually think I had a similar problem in Hillbilly Elegy, same problem, that uh, there were some scenes in that where I felt like they were giving, particularly with Amy Adams' character in that in that. F- I think okay. they were giving it a little bit, yeah. And it took away from the, the story, I think. Um, See, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I, I think the main thing that we are finding solace in is that there wasn't a lot to take away from this film. And and again, I think that's where the unfair comparison of having just watched The Father, which is a, it uses you know dementia in, in a similar way to motivate the story, but The Father is very clearly 
like trying to put you in this headspace and it uses every tool in its toolbox in terms of like the way they cast and recast people throughout the film the way they shoot it the way it's edited um they use all of these tools to to oh geez i punched my microphone there they use all these tools to propel this very clear purpose of putting you in this specific headspace of anthony hopkins character this film i think it does take a back step because you're right it has these two great actors and it's allowing them to act in these scenes well, I don't know if it's necessarily a problem that the story's been sidelined for performance. I think that's fine, especially in a film like this where it really is more of a character piece or a, about these two characters and, in my mind, their codependency on each other or the, the not wanting to be codependent. We'll mm. get into that soon. But I think part of my problem was the film relied on these performances too much so that when I found the editing and the direction and the cinematography, and there were some pretty shots, there's some very nice pretty shots of them driving around with these vistas and everything. But I feel like a lot of that is but, to do with the location, not not like... Yeah. I mean... Good location, good framing. Because... Letting it, those shots happen. Well, it's letting, <laughs> letting those shots breathe, and I'll, I'll be parable with um, Nomadland for a, for a okay. second, because okay. I think that film really captures the perfect balance of telling a story, but also allowing the landscape to kind of tell a part of the narrative. Um, Whereas I feel like this film has a couple of really nice set pieces, but doesn't actually do too much with them. Uh, I think this, this film, you know, Hey, it's a road trip film. So there needs to be a pretty significant emphasis on the road trip itself, the, mm. the places you go to, because as they're going on their character journey, we should be exploring the areas. And I, like a film like Nomadland does it really well. Even mm. a film is like even a bit more constructed, like into the wild does the same thing that, uh, you know, there are moments when that character is, you know, in a certain state of mind and he's in a certain place. And I, right, I, and it matches. And it matches. And so at the low points, he's in places, you know, that are more industrial and stuff. So it's there's definitely a, a correlation between feeling and emotions and the location in which you choose to shoot. Mm. This film has uh, really nice locations, but they don't really utilize the environment at all. Yeah, I, I think you're actually 100% correct on that. Because that's what I was thinking. It's like... Yeah, there's some nice pretty shots and, you know, you put them in this nice... It's the thumbnail. I'll see if I pull it up for you. But you specifically during this shot leaned up to me and you're like, oh, that's a really like nice spot. I think I joked you like, that's a good place for a man to take a piss. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you're right. It's like in terms of correlation with what's happening with the story and the characters, like what is the relevancy? And it might seem a little nitpicky, sure, but that's something that you can do. What 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 makes it different from having a play where they just have a big screen in the background, they just start slowing a slideshow of mountains and, and I th- bush. I think it comes back to, uh, it's really, I mean, it's really simple. It, you, what is the relevancy is actually quite important because mm. the whole the whole thing is they're going on this road trip and, you know, Colin first character is funny. You know, he keeps saying, can we just go home? Can we just go home? And it's like, there it is. yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could just go home simply because you're not really utilizing this, this these debates these arguments these ethical problems that these two characters are having with one another about one of them letting the other go they're not enhanced or you know by the locations which you know is is a big part of the marketing of this film one of the biggest fights where they have the biggest ethical debate occurs at a dining room table 
mm. you know, a table in which that could be anywhere. It, you know, it, it wasn't, they didn't utilize the RV. The RV wasn't a character. It was a job. It was an object to get them from A to B basically. And I think that's the difference because with the road trip film, it's like, for example, with Nomadland, with Fern's character, her van has a personality. Mm. It's, it's tied to her character. It's tied to the way her story is told. I mean, there are whole ports, uh, parts of that film in which her van breaks down and she needs to look after her van. The same thing happened into the wild, you know? It's like that that place where he stays up in, in the like Al- Alaskan um, tundra, mm. you know? That's a character. It's meant to be a character. The RV is really, in this film, doesn't have a personality and literally is just to service them getting from A to B, to get to this plot right. point, to get to that plot point, to get to that plot point. And the thing I didn't think about until now, because I'm later on I think I am going to challenge something you said about like the driving question on mystery of this film and whether there should have been any mystery period. But I do I did find myself confused as to what they were specifically doing in the first half of the film. Like we find out they're going to, uh, I guess, like a f- the sisters. Is it is it Sam's sister? I think it's Sam's sister. Yeah. But like that family and the, and that the house they're in, yeah. and then it, it ends up being like this big birthday sort party. of yeah. Essentially, was it a birthday party? I think it's a birthday party. Um, for... I thought it was just a party, just to it might just be to celebrate. Um, Tusker being there and yeah, yeah. But either way, it's like that ends up being kind of what they're doing, where they're going. Because you're right, they have these conversations of. You know, we can just turn around and go home. No, we need to do this sort of thing. Because initially I thought, unless I just missed it, I don't know if I missed it, but we're not necessarily told what they're going, where they're going or what they're doing. I just assumed that they were just going on a trip to just enjoy being together. And that's kind of why you're on these essentially random that's, places. that's what it is. But there's no... Like, I think you're 100% right. I mean, the whole thing, the only... Thing that we know that's at the end of this road trip is Colin Firth's character Sam has a piano recital because he's uh, you know he's a musician. But th- I don't think that's mentioned until the last like 10, quite, 15 minutes. Well, yeah, not not the end, but like when they're tr- they're walking through the woods together and he's saying like, oh, you know, you should go, you should go. No, I I, I want to spend every minute with you. That, that I think that is in the first act, but that, that's still like at least thirty plus minutes. Yeah, it, in the film, and it's such a. Um, it's just not like a very prominent um, point. Like, it's not like if that's where the end point is, it's not brought up a lot. Like, it's mostly just brought up. Oh, you should, you know, you should be practicing. You know, oh, I don't want to do it. And then they keep, they just get back to, you know, the immediacy of the the situation. And I think um, that's what confused me the most because, like, like I said, it comes back to well, what were they driving towards? Where where was the the end goal of this trip when and then especially the pacing at the end of the film it's like it dips to black dips out of black and we've you know passage of times happened and so it's like i really don't see the prominent importance of this film having to be on a road trip simply because i feel like the only rationale i can give it is well road trips are where revelations happen and Mm. things change you know um and that's what the narrative device and rationale behind it is, I think, because these characters are undergoing a, a serious ethical dilemma. But yeah, I, I'm just I'm just trying to because I'm trying to imagine this film if it wasn't a road trip, if they were just sort of at home. Um, I don't know because it's like you you do now that you are on a road trip, you do give the film a little more space. Like okay, well now we can have these open vistas and we have an excuse to 
keep these characters moving one way or another like it's not as stagnant as in a house but you're right that's not a good ex- that's not a good narrative mm. excuse to have them on the road i'm trying i'm trying to think if there's any true but then i mean was- it makes sense that they're going to this place to see their family because it, they they infer that like someone that it took them weeks just to travel there or whatever like they do infer yeah that. and it's their family home yeah. i think uh, it's sam's family home where he grew up um and it was like inherited to his sister so right it it's definitely important like but i but to your point i think if they just establish that and i, I might be stupid and just missed it but if like we knew from really early on in the film that's where they were going as opposed to just like i guess they're going on a trip for the sake of a trip mm-hmm. i don't know that might have cleared things up a little bit for me i mean we do get there eventually and because i thought until then it was going to be very much these are just the two actors yeah you know we're really not going to see anyone else and of course it does widen up with these other characters it's like tim and lily and clive these are the other characters i got those are all family i'm guessing mm. that went the party and stuff but um yeah i think there's a lot of it's ironic because like we didn't take away much from the film but there is plenty there in terms of like i said with the codependency because ultimately and again we've already passed the spoiler threshold mm-hmm. for me it does become a situation where sam has this codependency on tusker because you can't let him go he can't at the thought of losing him you know if he takes his own life mm-hmm. he can't deal with that and that he always needs to be with him every second he can't be an individual anymore but then you have the other way around where tusker is like i would rather kill myself than be an anchor to you where it's almost the other way around he does not want codependency whatsoever mm-hmm. and i know that's at the for sake of him having dementia and him you know losing his mind and his ability to be independent period yeah but those are almost it's still two very different ideologies they have absolutely Which, but i, I, I think mean, that's sort I, of the main thing the film I, I definitely agree with you in, in hindsight I, I think you've identified the crutch there um that balance between independency and codependency in a relationship mm-hmm. especially when one of you is undergoing a serious change in circumstance in your life whether that would be you know mental or that would be you know uh, personal you know there could be a range of different factors but um the re- like obviously the, like tusker's journey to you know it, it, they both go on a journey of acceptance i think and understanding yeah, yeah. and the the important thing is i think it's the firth's character it's the transformation from being sympathetic to empathetic um towards mm, tusker's okay. uh, situation uh, because he does, you know his codependency is is not a necessarily a negative trait, but it is selfish to an extent. The way Firth's character operates, because he's basically okay. giving Tucci's character of, of Tusker like no freedom anymore, or no sense of control, and he's not doing it with malicious intent or deliberately. No, he's doing well, it. Ne- love. Neither of them are, because I think I think Tucci's character is also selfish in a way. Of yeah. wanting to end his life despite Sam not wanting Absolutely. to do that. I think they both go on a journey from sympathy to empathy because right. they both start to see each other's side of the fence, you know. Mm. Like and I and that's the that's the final conclusion of letting him go eventually because, you know, Tucci's character didn't tell um him about the tape or right. you know, that he was doing this. It was gonna be a surprise. Yeah. Because so. he was gonna do it during the performance, like he certainly wasn't going to tell Sam, 
Oh, by the way, um, I know you're about to go and do this piano thing. I'm going to go kill myself. Anyway, have a good night. Yeah. Like, that was that was not going to happen. So that Sorry. is very selfish. It was purely the intent of so he wouldn't be accused of, like, killing him. Yeah. That I was, was just, thing. It's more just it's like very he selfish. couldn't bring himself to, I think, say it. And, okay. And by vocalizing and recognizing what Tucci's character was going to do to himself... Um, it makes it more real, and yeah. obviously, it leads to that big fallout scene because that was the re- that was the original reaction. Firth's character, you know, at the start of that argument, this prominent argument scene at this dinner table, he starts on the stance of being selfish and not yeah. wanting to talk about it, and just tunnel vision because he thinks his methodology and ideology, his approach to this like situation that they found them both in is the right way to do it. Whereas Tucci's character, you know, is defending himself and stuff. And only when Firth exits the house and comes back in, does he start to switch from being sympathetic and disagreeing to, I think empathetic. And well, he has that moment where, um, where Tusker drops the plate mm. and it's sort of that reminder of like the situation he's still in. But yeah, because he, Sam literally says it. What's the line he says? He says something along the lines of, we're never gonna. We're not gonna talk about it. We're gonna pretend it never happened, yeah. or that I never found it, or you never fought this. And you're right. It's like that's not possible. No. That is not catch that bag. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's strange sort of, expression. Hmm? Cats out of the bag. Just a strange expression. Like, yeah, I guess. Why is there a cat in the bag? <laughs> is it meant to be um, like Schrodinger's cat? Maybe. Or something like that. Sorry, quick, uh, the reveal of what actually ha- I don't know. That's I guess something. I'm Speaking about. of the reveal, do you want to go into your highlight scenes, or do you have? Any? Um, well, I got I got a little more. Okay. To say because yeah, like I said, there's sort of that thing, which I think that's the most clear thing is codependency versus independency between that relationship and between them, and that I mean that's more universal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, despite obviously it being a gay relationship, which they really is completely normalized. There's I, I was waiting for that one character at the dinner, that one homophobic character, like, oh, well, you know, you two guys. Yeah. Didn't, that yeah. never came up, which yeah, was it, a surprise, yeah. Yeah, it did. It's nice. um, it's, you're 100% right. It's completely normalized, which it absolutely should be, um, which is why I was actually a little disappointed when I'm reading the logline and the opening thing is, like, a gay couple. Why can't it just be a couple? Like, I, it's always that. It's, it's the prefix. Yeah. Like, I was a little disappointed because I was like, not one point um, do, you know, we we clearly identify from the opening scene these two are in a very long-standing relationship. Everyone around them has accepted it or they, like, normalize it. They don't even really acknowledge it. They just acknowledge them as a couple, like yeah. they should. Um, so it's a, a little disappointing with the logline. Like, it's so. like, you just call them a couple. Like, they're a married couple. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what they interesting. are. That's yeah. Because um, it, it's not wholly... It's That's, not really relevant whatsoever to the story. No, there's, there are a couple. There's, there's nothing about this story and the plot that if you go back and change, like, if, if you just change Sam as a female character, you read the exact same script, but someone tells you, oh, Sam's a female, by the way. Mm. Like, if, that, that the film the, doesn't change at all. all. No. Nothing. Mm. Not even a line of dialogue, which, yeah, I kind of really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I love it. I, yeah. I love the fact that you... That's But that is... And in its purest form, that's normalization. Yeah. The fact that you could hot swap these characters, it could be two females, it could be two males, it could be mm-hmm. one man, one woman. The story doesn't change. Right. At all. Like, 
because that's not what the story's about. The story's about this relationship um, and how how they respond to mm. this uh, challenge, you know, this, this you know, huge challenge, obviously. But um, And I think that that's, yeah, that's just the most important thing that I, I think you take away from it um, because it do, it has no impact on the story at all. And it's not, so it's not an exploration of something like Ammonite, which is an exploration of, of like that like only sexuality. works because it's two women in that time period as well. That story doesn't Precisely, work exactly. otherwise. Same thing with Portrait. Yeah, exactly. like yeah. those stories, that that is important to the story. And here it's not. It's just something that they've decided like, okay, well, you know, this is a story about a couple. And mm. It's two guys, so a gay couple, and this is the story. I don't get the supernova allegory. I'm glad you mention that because that's sort of what i wanted to ask you about so you're talking about like the stargazing stuff which there's a lot of in this film like the looking at the stars and the astronomy of it and okay i i think i might have worked out just then what it might be i got a theory too because it's because obviously tucci's scene where he's talking to i want to say lucy the kid oh the little girl yeah Um, um i don't know it might be sue it might be sue okay the you know he he here. explains <laughs> like oh when a when a star dies and um you know explodes and fragments everywhere and little mm-hmm. parts of stars are in you so i kind of get the the fragmentation of mind might correlate to the the supernova ex, you know explosion because mm. you know his thoughts his identity his his soul is slowly dying too because of you know this horrible um mental illness and so only f- and the fragmentations of his life and the effect that he has on all of those people at that party is i think i think's really important yeah um that's sort of his legacy of identity because when he can't remember who he is it's up to other people to and particularly Sam's character at least from Sam's point of view, to look after that, to remind them, to, mm. to care for him. But obviously, you know, Tucci's character has ulterior motives. Yeah, yeah I think... I The thing I kind of figured, because you got to move the film, the first shot and the last shot, it is a bookend of the stars. Yeah. I'm looking up at that. Um, and that's how like it spells the title and everything. Um, the thing I thought is that it's afterlife especially with the context of knowing that that Tusker wants to kill himself. And it does sort of leave the ending... I think the ending is actually really ambiguous in a lot of ways, and we can talk about that in a moment. But that was sort of what I was going for, because I thought it would be a more, like, literal payoff of, like, he would start to lose his memory, but that's the one thing that he can, like, confidently recount. I thought it was going to be something like that. There's not a payoff at all of anything like that. Even just, like... The actual literal effects of dementia on him are very minimal. I made the joke to you on the ride home. I, I said like, uh, he basically got lost in the woods. He doesn't know how to button his shirt, and then and then he dies or he what, kills himself. He drops a drops a plate. Oh, yeah, he drops a plate too. But it's like it's very like little bits of foreshadowing for what's gonna happen. Mm. So um, I don't think that's. What, I think I think it is sort of the sense of afterlife. Yeah, I think still Alice definitely had a more prominent. Uh like drastic effects and right. and such so i think that's really important but um yeah we can talk about the ending if you'd like um i like yeah. your uh, i like your interpretation of the super- yeah well i think because that that's sort of my interpretation of those shots and the and mm-hmm. the, the 
the um, analog of it, I guess, and why it's such a big part of this film, why it's the title of the film is that. But you think about the, the literal beats of the ending. So let's jump ahead. So Sam wakes up. Is it Sam? No, Tusker wakes up in the morning. He goes downstairs. Sam's playing the song. I'm imagining it's the song that he used to not play in front of Tusker. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. And then they sort of embrace. And I wrote the line down. He, uh, Sam says to Tusker, let me be with you. Now, my thinking is that's a line that says, I want to be with you when you do it. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of, you're right, fades to black, fades back. He's on the piano. He's doing his performance. Fades out, stars, ending of the movie. So, pretty abstract, I figured. Like, it doesn't show you the literal steps of what's yeah. going to happen. I, I don't know if it's actually very clear. Yeah. I'm sure Tusker... He didn't change his mind at the end. No. He still wants to kill himself. I, mean, any, I think, if anything, it's Sam. Sam's accepting. Exactly. And is willing to help. And I think that that's... Yeah, that's the point of that scene. When it's like, let me be with you when you when you do it. Um, but it's almost a juxtapose because if it wasn't for that line, I would watch that piano performance of him playing and him knowing that he is thinking that his partner is killing himself right now as he's playing. But that doesn't make sense with the line, let me be with you. Well, maybe he chose... Because um, we don't see Stanley Tucci in that last scene right. you know, at all. Um, so maybe... Either that happened, might have happened on that that road trip. Could have happened happen before, before the before or... the performance, and or it could be happening as he's playing right there and then. Yeah. We we really have that open to interpretation for it, but I I think the importance of that line is simply to show Sam's completion of his journey. He's ready to do what he can for the best, like for the for his partner. Right. You, know, you know, he's ready to even if it hurts him, which it hurt him. Yeah, he knows he finally I like he finally completes that journey from uh, a journey from being sympathetic to the plight to being empathetic of it and mm. I think that's important okay I mean it's would, fair enough would you like to move into highlight scenes let's do it let's do it <laughs> Zeke what was your highlight scene for Supernova probably the <laughs> um tick 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 the yeah, the tick. sequence in which Firth finds out about the tapes and it's just mm. festering and then he goes and gets it, and they wrestle a little bit on the on the couch. It's a really intense scene. Um, That's actually my highlight scene exactly as well. Yeah. Like that whole chain, that whole sequence. Because mm-hmm. that's probably about a five to ten minute chunk of the film. Yeah. But. That was that was definitely... And then the other one would be when he was looking at Stanley uh, Tusker's novel, and at the start, like, watching that slow translation of... Tusker's inability to write. Mm. Um, that actually was an effective way of kind of showing, yep. showing not, not telling, telling. and yep. actually a bit emotionally moving. And the only and the other one would probably be the birthday dinner speech. I think that that was a really okay. strong. I mean, that's definitely like a separate yeah. scene. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Okay. Um. Cool. Well. 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 The reason I want to just elaborate why, because yeah. you're right. That was ex- my exact feeling from when he finds the the book and the seeing the slow deterioration of, of these words and the pages all ripped and stuff. You're right. It's a perfect way of showing or telling, which I said earlier in this episode, I think this film is very uninspired in terms of its editing direction and cinematography. But that scene, that collection of scenes, is the the um, the example of, of not that. 
or the the one time the film actually really does get that mm. right, where it is visual. And then the you know the next few scenes is them traveling. His festering anger, um, Colin Firth kills it with that. And it might not be a question so much of like, oh, what did he find out? Because I'm sure you probably knew mm-hmm. what what it probably was. Well, you clearly identify the the vial when he gets oh, he's the holding vial, the thing, yeah. and it's very clearly the insert cuts in. So it's very clear that when we see the tape. It's yeah. next to the vial, you know, you put two and two together. But even if that's not the driving question, the driving question can become, how was he going to reveal this information? Mm. Because I know on the way home you were saying the film probably would have been better off if you knew from the very beginning that Tusker wanted to kill himself. Yeah. And my thing is because of the effectiveness of this scene where it's the one time in the film the audience and the characters are not on the same playing field, where the characters know something the audience doesn't technically know yet mm. or that we know that Sam knows that Tusker doesn't know that Sam knows. Yeah. I'm doing my dodgeball quote here. <laughs> but yeah, just like that, it just felt so effective, that chain of sequence. Mm. So that's why it's also my highlight scene. I just wanted to clarify that one. No worries. <laughs> well, Supernova is currently out in cinemas near you. Mm. And probably VOD. Probably. I if imagine you're, so. You're not an Australian. Well, speaking of VOD, Jake... What is new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? Bit of a chill week this week, Zeke. Yes. Um, Stowaway comes to Netflix and sees a three-person crew, including Anna Kendrick, Tony Collette, and Shamir Anderson, on a mission to Mars to face an impossible choice when an unplanned passenger ends up on board. Oh, I like the cast, though. Yeah, it's a decent cast. Even with Tony Collette, I'll check out. I'll buy into it. Um, coming to Disney Plus this week is the series finale to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I still have only seen the first two episodes. I haven't seen episode five yet. But, oh, um, okay, so you're up to four. I've done the first four. Okay. Um, I might smash out. I'm not going to lie, two. I've actually really enjoyed it. Oh, okay. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, if it kind of takes, takes over from... Uh, my my opinions on one division i like one division probably up until what like the last episode second last episode right. um but i'm intrigued i'm intrigued i i actually really like the direction they've gone with it um okay and you know it's it's a little action like it's got action sequences but i actually don't think it's a, um action heavy like up until this point and i actually have liked I honestly have liked the 40-minute but less episode um, over oh. the 10-episode, um, but they were like 25 to 30-minute ones, I think. Oh, right. These episodes are a bit longer. WandaVision was, was it eight or nine? Eight or nine, and they range from about 20 minutes to 40 minutes, depending on the episode. Yeah, Some of the yeah. earlier episodes are 20. Like, it's it's to fit the the sitcom formula they're they're parody yeah of so course. that makes sense but um I yeah this is definitely shorter in total I know that Falcon is shorter mm. I've liked it I mean it's given it it's honestly it's given an opportunity to explore two characters that really up until this point haven't it same thing as One Vision they they yeah. didn't really have that much I mean Sebastian Stan's character obviously Bucky has had a little bit more than I think and I think this I really think the point of this show is more for Anthony Mackie's character who. Obviously, they want to tr- kind of tran like slowly, you know, push people to like, like. Obviously, it's changing the guard sort of uh, series. Right. So, um, but I really liked it. I really like the performance from White Russell um, okay. as the new Captain. America. I've only seen him in that second episode so far. So. Um, I think he's very strong. Mm. 
as a performer, but he doesn't get, um, I think, enough time up until this point. Like, they don't give him enough uh, kind of, uh, like, build sometimes, I think, uh, because obviously they're, they're focusing a lot on the Anthony Mackie and... Uh, Sebastian uh, Stan. Sebastian Stan. I finally remembered his name for once on yeah. Q. Look at that. <laughs> Man. I did it, Zeke. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious. Okay. Um, yeah. I might I might honestly tonight just smash out a bunch. Yeah, I'm sure we can have like a real in-depth conversation about both of the shows when uh, Black Widow Black eventually Widow gets, gets I, here. We'll definitely be a fair way through Loki as well by that point. Um, I'm actually liking, them- I like this show format though. Oh, so nice. Yeah, um, I I loved Wonder Vision. I just like I'm just haven't liked the show that much, so I just haven't been keen to watch it every Friday. That's fair. Every Friday I see it like oh it was a new episode. Now I can just start binging and then I just keep building it up. But um, we'll see. I'm I'm sure I'll be more than happy to watch it all this week. Like from start, yeah. now that the last episode's about to come out um, on Friday. And new to cinemas, you have the dis uh, the dissident the dissident. That sounds correct, doesn't it? That's the trailer we saw on Saturday. Mm. Um, which is Icarus filmmaker Brian Fagel tell the story of the disappearance of a Washington Post journalist and how his fiance and other dissidents around the world helped piece together what became a murder and a global-sized cover-up. Very excited. Um, looks good, yeah. Very excited because mm. Icarus was great. Very nice. Um, so, and that that was that, that film was fascinating. How it started as one thing and really kind of took a turn it's like towards... Tickled the Tickle King oh yeah Tickled <laughs> I forgot about Tickled oh, how good is Tickled remember Tickled that's awesome I love that great yeah well that comes to cinemas and finally Six Minutes to Midnight um, Zeke this has no decent logline I've checked many places and all the loglines kind of suck so I'm going to read you two that I found okay. one on Letterboxd one on IMDb yep um, you tell me what the hell this movie like <laughs> yeah I'm... okay here we go I'm going to read the first one says, Summer, 1939. Influential families in Nazi Germany have sent their daughters to a finishing school in an English seaside town to learn the language and to be ambassadors for the future-looking National Socialist. A teacher there sees what is coming and is trying to raise the alarm, but the authorities believe he is the problem. And then the second logline reads, UK, August 15th, 1939, 17 days before World War II, an English teacher and his camera disappear on a coastal boarding school with 20 German teen girls. Miller gets a job six days later, secretly trying to find out what happened. <laughs> they sound like two different movies. They do sound like two different movies. So what's it, what's it sitting on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay, never mind. I don't think it's going to review great, though. I think it Letterboxd... doesn't sound like it. Letterboxd was like the 2.8 realm. Um, it, you know what? It, it, there was a thing here, so... An English teacher, so he disappears. Then you have Miller gets the job six days later. So is Miller the teacher that sees what is coming and trying to raise the alarm? Or is Miller the authorities that believe he is the problem? Who's who, Zeke? I don't know. I'm legitimately confused right now. We could totally do a segment of the show where we just, like, create loglines. Yeah. Like, fix loglines out of this, like... I'm sorry, this is a bad logline. That is a bad logline. These are like more synopses, and I still don't know what the hell is going, going on. on yeah. <laughs> so if you want to know what the hell that movie's about, you're probably just going to have to go and watch hmm. it, or maybe even a trailer. I should have just done that. I should have just watched a trailer. Doesn't I'm, it? I'm a moron. 
It's the uh, Spanish Film Festival week, isn't it? At, uh, oh, the, what, this next week? Sure. Yeah. Oh, next. possibly. Potentially. I think this is like a Hoyt's release as well, so I think it's like a proper right. full release, but who knows? I don't know anymore, man. I haven't been to Hoyt's in so long. Last time I went was... Baby Teeth? Oh, really? I think mine was Baby wow. Teeth. Um, I saw Chaos Walking. It was about a month or two ago. Okay. Wasn't that? But I went... It was me and one other dude on the other side of the theatre. Yeah. I think it was Baby <laughs> Teeth was the last time I went to Hoyt's. That's a good one to see at Hoyt's. Yeah. That would have been a better one to see at an art house that way. Because oh, we were by yeah, ourselves. We, we saw that by ourselves. Yeah, no, I think we nailed it. What are you talking about? With the whole cinema to ourselves. <laughs> nah, you wanted other artsy-fartsy skinny jeans kids there. <laughs> of course, the Jojo Rabbit. Uh, yeah, the Jojo Rabbit crowd to watch Baby Teeth. Uh, like Alrighty, that. well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show, but we are doing a, a special kind of Australian mm. Ode to Australia next week. That is indeed. Next week, Zeke, we're watching Gallipoli. you never heard of comes a story you'll never forget Sprinters face the brutal realities of war when they are sent to fight in World War One. So, so that's I'm, a better logline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously next week on the show, when this episode drops, it'll be the day after Anzac Day, which yep. is okay, a cool. you know it's a really important holiday if you're an Australian. Um, you know we, we obviously have never actually uh, kind of done a film focusing on sort of this sort of. But this is, you know, one Don't of the really most... Know. We've done... Uh, have we done war films? We did... No. That is... I think we did an Australian Day episode on Sweet Country. Mm-hmm. Which was last yeah. year. And then what did we do earlier this year again? Uh, How am I blanking on this, eh? Oh, my God. We did do something. We did something. Because I noticed this year we've been better at... We did a Valentine's Day episode. We're going to do an Anzac episode. Uh, we're doing very specific choices. I'm, I'm actually literally going to our Spotify page <laughs> to figure out what we did on <laughs> Australia Day. Do it. Go on our Spotify page. And I'm, uh, How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. I'm Jake. You're watching side show. a very meta podcast. Where we in this podcast we look up our old podcast and figure uh, out what we, we talked did. about. <laughs> oh, we did the dry. Oh, okay, okay, that's uh, not. Yeah, okay, fair enough. 
It's um, an Australian movie. <laughs> yeah, which I think that's like that was the important thing about like Australia Day Week doing is Australia. Just, yeah, Whereas didn't this, necessarily this film need to be like directly correlates with yeah. Anzac, the Anzac Legend, which is a you know sort of a theological sort of discussion we can have next week on the show. I think mm, uh, this is a film I've never seen before, and I feel like it's Ooh. a bit of a blacklist. P- Peter of... Weir is a brilliant director, so I'm very excited to see it just mm. for that alone. No drama as well. Until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Gallipoli. <laughs>